Come on, church. Give it up for Jesus. Let's go. Man, oh man, it is great to be back here with you. I love Sundays. I love Sundays. I love coming and worshiping and singing praises to an awesome God. And I love the fact that we can do it together, that I can spend it with all of you this morning. Man, good morning, church. It is Sunday. You know what that means, right? It's our fun day, man. We love coming and singing. And it, it, by the way, if you're joining us on this line this morning, good morning to you too. Man, we wish you were here. We know that some reasons you can't be here, but we wish you were because worship was amazing this morning. Right, church? Amen. Come on, give it up. Singing worship. We wish you were here, but we're so thankful we have the technology. We can bring the word of truth right no matter where you are and that God is working your life. Man, if you're new with us, welcome to Vertical Church. Come on, walk up. Give it a vertical. I guess. We love the fact that you are here today, that you're coming to hang with us for an hour. Uh, I've even figured out, again, we're all about Jesus in this place because we believe he changes everything um, and, and exactly kind of what we're walking through in this series. We hope that you feel welcome, wanted, that you're willing to come back and hang with us another Sunday as we chase this life lived for and with Jesus Christ. Uh, we're in this series, in the middle of a series, church, that, that impacts every single one of us in this room. In the series, you can see on the screen, it's titled, But God. Two words that have the power to change everything in our lives. Two words that stand before six letters that takes us from what were, challenges us in life, what's right in front of us, in front of our faces, and moves us to the other side of that challenge or what's in front of us. Now... If you ask me, you didn't, but I'm going to tell you anyways, I think this is absolutely amazing, knowing that there is another side of struggles in life, knowing that there is something more that we, that's on the other side of what we can face, knowing that I don't have to trust what I see or what I don't see, but I can trust in the one who sees everything all at once. And that's a struggle that many of us have in this room, we have in life, we can't see it. We can't see the other side. We can't, we can't see the other side or the bigger picture of what we're facing or what comes our way. And it makes us struggle because we can't see the plan. And because we can't see the plan and what's coming on the other side or what's the outcome, what we, happens to us is we become overwhelmed, we become filled with doubt and fear, anxiety, and even disbelief. But these two words, but God, take what we cannot see and what we don't understand and puts it squarely on the one who does. And that is an awesome amazing God. Now, it takes us when we take this idea that what we're going through and add this idea, but God has a plan. I don't see how losing my job benefits me, but God has a plan. What do we want to walk through? When wandering, we have a child who's wandering from faith, but God has a plan, right? I don't understand how being in a car accident or a financial burden or, or a death of a loved one or a disease in life, we don't see this, we don't understand this, we don't like this, but these two words, but God has a plan. Step into our world. We might not know it. Shoot, we might not like it. 
But God has a plan. And if we believe this truth, believe in these two words, it can radically change how we move forward in life. Because this is, this is simple truth. What we believe to be true determines what we choose to do next. What we believe to be true determines what we choose to do. What we believe to be true is the foundation to how we respond to what comes at us in life. What we believe to be true is the foundation of we choose how to move through it. Maybe good, maybe bad, or indifferent. It doesn't matter, but it finds its basis in what we believe. But God, he has a plan. And I don't believe that we're ever meant to fully understand it. I don't. As, I, as I'm bombarded the pages of truth with God's word and read through this book, I am constantly hit with the truth that I am just to trust him. I am to trust him for it, I'm to trust him in it, and I'm to trust him through it, because that's what the scripture teaches. But truth talk, can we, be, can we be honest this morning? That is so much easier said than done, isn't it? I know this for true, because there's been times and moments in my life where I have doubted God. There's been times in my life where I've, where I've questioned him, saying, God, what are you doing? There's been times in my life where I even turned my back on him, saying, hey, I'm going to ignore you for a while. Those times have been hit my life because of things that I have walked through, and I've always come back to the end realizing that my life in his hands is far greater than my life in my own. I might not understand everything, I might not like everything, but I understand that his ways, his plans are far greater than my ways and my plans for my life. And I must trust him. That's a thing, that word we talk about in church called faith. I must trust him with my everything because if I don't, if I don't, I'm left with myself and man, I know where myself goes when I'm all by myself. And I think that you're all with me on that, right? And I want to be up front with you this morning. I'm going to say some things and share some things that will feel absolutely impossible. Because of some of the things that you are going through right now or you have been through recently, you are going to think they are impossible. But just because we feel that they're impossible doesn't mean that they are. Because of two words. But God. When those two words enter the equation of anything in our lives, he has the opportunity to change everything. You with me on that? All right, let's get into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 this morning. Genesis 37, verse 2. If you grab the Bible on the way in, you will find on page 
27. By the way, if you grab an orange Bible on the way in and you do not have a Bible of your own, please take it. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. Um, if you saw them there and you don't have a Bible, grab one on the way out. We believe God's Word is powerful in our lives. It's the reason we have it. We want to give it to you, and it's free. Take it. Uh, as we step into the Scripture this morning, we are stepping into one of the, we're looking at what I believe one of the most compelling stories in the Scripture of the Bible. It's a story where a boy was loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. It's a story, a true story, where we watch him walk through a tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And the whole time, humanly speaking, he had every right to throw in the towel with God and say, I'm done with you. But what he believed to be true fed his actions in life. And his actions in life are a testimony for you and I to follow. So if you got your Bibles open, chapter 37, Genesis, starting at verse 2 this morning, it says... This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate road for him, when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Let's just stop right there. So you can see right up front that, that we're dealing with dysfunctional family, all right? I mean, come on. A father who's plays favorites, a son who receives special treatment, and siblings who hated their brother. I mean, just this is dysfunctional family. By the way, I just want to ask. Who here has a brother or sister in the room? Show me or raise your hands. If you've got a brother and sister in your life, raise, okay, okay. Who here feels like your brother or your sister has received special treatment over life, okay? Yeah, look, yeah. Okay, now, who here has a brother and sister in the room? I just want to let you know you just told them what you thought, all right? I want to be really clear. All right, we're dealing with dysfunctional situations. We're all dysfunctional in our own ways. Oh, my word. Joseph... Joseph was given two dreams by God. And in his dreams, the first one led his brothers bowing down, the representative his brothers bowing before him. And the second dream was the same, his brothers bowing drawing, but bowing before him. But it brought in his mother and his father. And, and as these are two crazy dreams. And I don't know why Joseph felt compelled, but he went and told his brothers about the, like, listen, so one day you guys are all going to bow before me. I'm not sure how that worked out, you know, that would work out in my home. I went home. I'm the youngest of four, and if I ever told my brothers, Don, Sandy, and Steve, say, listen, one day you're all going to bow before me, like, whatever, whatever, get out of here. Go play in traffic, Rich. Um, so this is what's happening, right? And he has his dream, and, they, and when they got so upset with Joseph when, they, when they, he told them this story, they, uh, they threw him into a pit, and they planned to kill their own brother. That's crazy, right? They threw him into a pit and planned to kill their own brother. But one of them, I guess one of them had a shred of decent mercy, said, listen, let's not kill our brother. Let's just sell him. <laughs> Come on, Right? So you see, if you jump down to verse 28 of chapter 37, it says, So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, silver to the Ishmaelites, and they who took him to Egypt. So Joseph, who was hated by his brother, is now sold. 
Joseph was taken to Egypt, and he was sold to a, as a slave to a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was an official uh, to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at that time. And when Potiphar's, he came to Potiphar's house, everything started to prosper. Everything he did was successful. So Potiphar is like, okay, what this dude is doing is really, really good. We're having a good return, so I'm going to put him in charge of all these things in my household. But then one day, Potiphar's wife took notice and saw that Joseph was a stud, right? He was a stud. That's Rich's translation. Just want to throw that out there. Um, and she wanted to do some things with him that, well, let me just say it, that was not a part of his job description. Can we leave it at that? And Joseph refused her advances, and so she set him up. She made it look like, like he attacked her. And so when her husband came home, when Potiphar came home, he heard all about it. She's like, da 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 And he threw Joseph in the Egyptian prison. Now if we were to jump forward to chapter 39, verse 16, look at this on the screen. It says, she kept a cloak beside him, kind of get laying out before you, beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought, came, brought to us came to me and made sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When the master heard the story of his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoner were confined. Let's stop there again. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? It did not go down like she shared. But talk about this, this Joseph life. Like, sands through the hourglass, these are the days of your lives. I mean, this is what this dude is dealing with. It was like one of the worst soap operas you could ever go on. He goes on from being the favored son to a pit. He goes on from being the favored servant now to he is in prison. At this point, going through what he's going through and what he faced, I think many of in this room, including myself, we would have given up. We would have said, yeah, 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 okay, whatever, God. We would have turned and walked away. Because seeing what was in front of him, what he was dealing with, was too big, too strong. Can't see the end. So this is where I want to stop. And I want to reflect on two truths of Joseph's lives that relate to you and me this morning. So as we face our struggles, as we face our challenges, our conflictions that we're dealing with in life, that we know how to walk through this. And the first one is this. The first truth is this. Never wastes an experience. God never wastes an experience. At this point, we may be thinking that either Joseph was running into a string of bad luck, or he served a God that had no clue what he was doing. Isn't that how we feel? I mean, again, truth talk, right, church? As we walk through things in life, when we're faced in adversity, when events take place in life that leaves us hurt or leaves us empty or leaves us lost or leaves us alone, don't we look up and say, come on, God. Don't you know what you're doing? God, why, why aren't you paying attention to what's happening to me? Don't you see what's doing to me? Don't you see what's doing to my family? Don't you do see what's doing to my friends? 
God, if you really cared for me, don't you think you would step into my life and give me the peace that I feel like I deserve? Isn't it what it's like? I just talked to a gentleman out in the lobby about 15 minutes ago. He was riding his bike. And he got hit by a car going about 75 miles an hour. And he was found on the side of the road. He was dead. And someone prayed over him and he came back to life. And he is working through that now. And he's here this morning and he's praising his God. As we walk through this, stop and cry out to God like, do you even care? This was two words come in, but God. See, but God doesn't waste an experience. See, you and I, we like to live our lives how we like to travel, right? We want our lives, we think the fastest way to two points is a straight line, right? Here's point A, here's point B. Here to get there to there, the fastest thing without any issues is to go in a straight line. That's what we want, and that's immediately what we think is best way of travel. That's why we will learn how to fly, right? We have these big things that are not meant to fly Planes are not designed to fly, okay? I just want to throw that out there. If they're up there flying, because we want to get from here to here, and we're tired of driving the road, so we decided to go up into the air. That's what we like to do. That's how we travel. That may be great for travel, but that's not how it works in our lives. In our lives, as we live them, going from point A to point B, friends, is not a straight line. In fact, many of us can testify this, that our lives look nothing like a straight line. That we're going through life and we, we, see, we have all these zigzags, that we're going over here, over there, or, or we got detours, or we got U-turns, or, or we're, we're going to spinning in little circles like, oh my word, this is my life. Give a kid a crayon and let him start drawing on a piece of paper. You're like, that's my life. And when these things happen to our lives, that's where the questioning becomes true in our lives. This is where doubt sets in. This is where disappointment comes. And our, our beliefs begin to fail. Because we put expectations on God and how we want our lives to be. And when they don't pan out, when they don't go as the way we Feel, and if we turn around and feel like God has turned our backs on us, we want to turn our backs on him. What if there was a plan? What if we actually served a God who knew what he was doing, right? The sovereignty of God who has a plan. What if that was true? What if the straight line that you and I so eagerly desire to live because we want to be conflict-free is not going to get us where we need to be ready for what he has next for us? 
What if our greatest struggle is what God's going to use to forge the greatest victory for the kingdom? At this point, Joseph had no clue where he was going. He only knew what he was going through. And he had every right to shake his fist at God. But because what he believed to be true, the foundation of his faith, he moved forward pointing to God and gave him all the glory. I mean, if we step back and look at his response when the Potiphar's wife came at him, tried to seduce him, verse 39, verse 9 of chapter 39, it says, no one is greater. This is his response. No one is greater in this house than, than I am. My master has held nothing for me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What he believed to be true fed his actions in life. They shaped his course and what he decided because what he believed to be true, who he believed in the most, is what he held to. Friends, God doesn't waste an experience. There is nothing random with him. There is a reason for everything. Each point of our lives, whether good, bad, is meant for you and me to learn and grow and trust in him. We move forward, becoming the very person he desires for us to be. We have to decide, are we going to let what we're walking through, the challenge that we're facing, shape us and mold us, or are we going to be victims of our circumstance? We all have junk in our lives that we deal with. Some more than others. We're not junk. We're made in the image of the, the creator. We're not junk. But we face a lot of junk in life. We need to submit and surrender to the God that takes that junk and molds him to a masterpiece. Trusting what's on the other side. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. Life happens for us, not to us. And that's a hard one to swallow when you're in the middle of your trial, right? How can you say that, Rich? That's what Scripture teaches. Life happens for us, not to us. And too many of us, myself included, when everything is going down, we live that reverse. Read through this book, church. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Amen to that. You read through this book. We constantly see God's plan unfold for people who are facing a bunch of junk in their lives, hardships in front of them, challenges. What would it be? David defeating Goliath. Moses leading the Israelites. Samson and the Philistines. Daniel and the lion's den. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the tomb of fire. Saul on the road to Damascus. And can I just say Jesus and the cross? Over and over again, we read and watch God's plan unfold for their lives. People who loved him and followed him. And I would guarantee that if we were to stop and we can get a hold of them, have a quick phone conversation with all these folks, and we say, hey, did you know the plan? And they'd be like, no, absolutely not. I just trusted the one who did. Before Jesus came to the cross, we read that Jesus fell to his face to the ground and he was praying that it was possible to take the cup from him. But then he says this all-powerful statement, yet not my will but your will be done. Jesus submitted to the Father's plan knowing exactly what he was going to go through. The pain that he faced then why would we think that our lives would be any different? Life happens for us, not to us. Because God has a plan and he does not waste an experience. The second truth is this. God meets us in our troubles. God meets us in his troubles. He doesn't waste an experience, and he meets us in our troubles. He meets us where we're at. There's nothing that we go through that God is not present to carry us through. Nothing. There wasn't a moment in Joseph's life that God was not with him. When Joseph was sold as a slave to Egypt, look what he says. Look what it says. It says, the Lord was what? With Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. First wanted to kill him and got, then got decided to get rid of him. And it says, God was with him. And so he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now Joseph is in prison. Right? The, the, light, the lady lied. Now he's in prison. Not a great place to be. And look what it says in verse 20 in chapter 39. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, what does it say? You say it out loud with me. The Lord... Come on! The Lord was with him and showed kindness and, and granted him favor in his eyes of the prison warden. The Lord was with him in all his tragedy and that is practical life for you and me right here, right now. See, most of us will look, will look at what we're walking through and say, okay, sure, I, I know this will work out, this might work out, or, or I trust in God that it will work out, but what about now? What about right now? Okay, I'm going to trust that God's got a plan, and the other side of this, he's going to be victorious, and, it's, and then we're going that direction, but what about right now? How am I going to deal with what I'm facing right here, right now? How am I going to walk out those doors and step into real life and walk through all of that? Because the pain that is present is almost possible to dismiss. You know what? God knows that. 
He knows what we're walking through. He knows that instead of telling us to forget the pain, that he's going to come and meet us in the pain. Friends, the same God who meets us when we rejoice is the same God who, who's with us when we feel as we have no choice. The same God, he is with us. When we are surrounded by our circumstances, when we feel like we're alone, God is there. Over and over, the Bible has verses that show that to be true. Psalm 34, 18 is just one of them. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. He is present. And that's exactly what he wants to do for you and me. And let's be really clear this. It doesn't mean the pain is going to stop. It doesn't mean that God of all comfort, the creator, is just is going to come in and take it all away. What it means is that he's present. What it means is that he loves us enough to be with us as we walk through it. There's not a moment in life that we are alone. As nice it would have been for, for Joseph to have been just released from prison, there was something more that Joseph needed, and that was God's presence. Escape alone would have given Joseph freedom, but God's presence gave him fellowship. One is temporary, the other is long life blessing. We, you and me, we are drawn to momentary benefits of times and, and looking for that peace. We want to be free from what is bothering us. We want to be free from this challenge. We want to be free from this issue that we're dealing with. But what we need is Jesus. We need his presence. We need his power. We need him in our lives. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me if you're burdened, and I'll give you rest for your souls. It does not say that he's gonna, we're going to find deliverance from our circumstance. It does not say that. What it says is while we're in our circumstance, what we're walking through, that Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you the peace of my presence to walk through it. Two truths. This whole thing wraps up with the truth that God's plan for each of us, and this is probably one of the hardest things to share, is that God uses our challenges for good. That God uses these things in our lives for good. No experience is wasted, and everyone we walk through that he is with us, he's leading us through it, facing with us, facing it with us, but it's all meant for our good. And this may sound insane. Rich, how can you share that? Well, let me just finish the story. While Joseph was in jail, he was given the opportunity to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. 
The, the dreams that the Pharaoh was having pointed to a famine that was coming for all of Egypt and all the area. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph went up and said, hey, Pharaoh, this is what the dreams mean. And so the Pharaoh took Joseph, who was in, just in prison, and put him second in charge of all Egypt. Man, he was the most po- second most powerful man in the world at that time. And then the seven years of plenty came, and Joseph stored all the food. And then after seven years of plenty, seven years of famine came, just as Joseph interpreted. God put Joseph in a position and used him to have influence, not over our nation, but nations, saving thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Everything that God did in Joseph's life was up to that point was to bring him to this point. And this is where the story comes for a circle. Because the plenty came, the famine came, and it reached Joseph's family, Jacob's and his other brothers, and they realized who they were, and they brought them all into back to Egypt. They're coming to get their own grain so they would survive. And then the dream that Joseph shared with his brothers came true. They didn't, they didn't recognize him, but they bowed down to him as a man in charge. That's crazy. Joseph revealed himself to his family, saying, hey, you don't understand this. This is who I am. Everyone rejoiced and everyone, that he was alive, and he brought all his family and all his people to Egypt so he could save them. Years later, Jacob passed away. Their father passed away, and then what took place is their brothers got all sorts of nervous. Now, like dad, the head figure of our family is gone. Now Joseph is going to take revenge. He's going to come after us and take our lives. And look how Joseph responds. Chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis. You intended to harm me. What are those two words? Snap. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? God intended for what? To accomplish what is now being done, saving a lot, many lives. Two words. You tended to harm me. You tended to take me out. All these things in my life were troublesome and painful and hurtful, and I want to deal with them. But God meant it for good. Because what I went through set up something that I couldn't see coming or saved other people. Have you ever stopped to think about that? What our trials, our hardships, our pain, they were suffering, whatever we're walking through could be a setup how God's going to use us to radically change someone else's life. And by the way, at this point, when he came and Joseph said that, he was roughly 56 years old. Almost 40 years he walked through this. 40 years. And you and I, we struggle for 40 weeks, 40 hours. Sometimes when we text message, we struggle for 40 minutes. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, why, 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 why? This is where we need to stop. 
We need to stop. Say those two words. But God, all the power, all the authority, the one who created all things, the one who loves you the most. Friends, life happens for us, not to us. Because God has a plan. If we chose to use that phrase in our lives, turning our why God into what God? Why God am I going through this? Why are you not listening? Why haven't you solved this? Why, why? And turn around and go, what? What are you showing me? What is on the other side? What am I going to do to bring you glory? What are you wanting me to learn? What are you preparing me for? That's the power of two words. But God turns our whys into what's. Friends, it's not going to be easy. We love easy. But possible. Because we serve and love and worship a God where anything is possible. If he can create everything from nothing in six days, he can carry you, he can carry me through what's in front of us today and what's coming at us tomorrow. Life happens for us, not to us. Because we have an all-powerful, loving, sovereign God who has a plan. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. God, I thank you when we don't know what's in front of us. We thank you for your strength when we see what's in front of us. Lord, we believe in those two words, but God, how you change everything. How things we face in this world, man, sometimes are hit too hard. But what we see in Scripture and your word of truth, it's live and active. You have a plan. We may not see it, We might not even like it. But we trust you who knows it. Lord, I have no idea what my friends are walking through. But you do. I pray right now that your spirit that is present in your children are nurturing and comforting, encouraging those who are walking through junk. I pray that right now that they feel your presence. That you are there with them. That they are not alone. May they draw from your strength. And I know it may be hard, God. But I also pray that they see that something good will come out of what they're facing. Trusting what you have, that plan. 
I don't know what it is, but you do. And I pray that you show them. This is one of those hard ones, Father, that we don't fully understand. That's why we come before you this morning and surrender it all to the one who does. This morning, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. I don't know where you're at and what you're walking through, but again, God does. And when we believe in the power of prayer, if you need prayer this morning, God's been walking you through some things. You're like, I don't know if I can get to the other side. I don't feel like I can get to the other side. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side. Come forward. Let us pray with you. Let us pray over you. Let's lift you up to the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He wants to have that relationship with you and let you know how much he cares in the midst of your struggles and your suffering. Let us pray with you. Let us lift you up. Because you're not alone. You have him and you have this church. God, thank you for being real. Thank you for being honest with us. Thank you for changing lives. Celebrate three salvations, three individuals in this ministry, Lord, that you called to yourself to make them your children. We praise you for that. You're a God who is alive. You're a God who's active. You're a God who's changing lives. And we still believe you're doing that after we come to you. And we pray that this morning for everyone in this room who is watching online or listening online. Will you meet them where they're at? We lift this to you. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, and serve you. In your son's holy name, I pray. Amen. God bless your church. Have an amazing week.